The following program is intended for mature audiences. You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. That ball was on the line. Shot flew up. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. That was Kansas. Let's play the game tonight on the syndicated radio show, This Week in Tennis. My name is Phil Nasons, and I'm the host of this weekly radio show. You can catch us every single day on Max Sports Channels and at the405media.com. We are looking for stations as we speak. So if you want to bring This Week in Tennis to your terrestrial radio station or online radio station, or you want to... Place up the player on your website. Just let us know over at phil at 
philnasonshow.com. I want to send out a big shout-out to the Akron Public Libraries. We still have not finished setting up the studio, but we're in the place, and it sounds okay, and we're having fun testing everything out, being the guinea pigs. After all, we're tennis people. We know we test things all the time. <laughs> we try anything we can to make everything better, and it is what it is. And I apologize for any uh, faux pas in the sound. I don't think there'll be any, but if there is, my apologies. On the line with me from Scotland, please welcome Craig Doyle to the show. Craig, how you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm doing very well, Phil, and uh, I'm delighted to join you here after a very important political week in Scotland. But uh, I'm here to talk tennis, mostly, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. Well, that's kind of what's on the agenda here. Andy Murray kind of got himself into the hot seat once again because he didn't win Wimbledon this year, so now he's Scottish, and he decided to uh, send out a tweet. He said, huge day for Scotland today. No campaign negativity. Last few days totally swayed my view on it. Excited to see the outcome. Let's do this. And he got hammered. And one guy wrote in, let me see, where was this I saw? Oh, it said here, he says, wish you had been killed in Dunblame, you miserable, anti-British, hypocritical little git. Your life will be a misery from now on. What's the story behind all this? Since you're from Scotland, maybe you can explain it real quick. Okay, um, the Scottish independence referendum has been big political news um, worldwide, I gather. Basically, Scotland was looking to split off from the rest of the UK, um, utilizing the wealth of their oil industry and uh, various other things, believing that the, the people of Scotland would be better off without the rest of the UK. Um, it's been a very interesting campaign over the last year or so as um, a number of big name celebrities have fallen on one side of the debate or the other. Uh, Many of them nailed their colours to the mast pretty early on um, and didn't really capture the public interest in it. But certainly a couple of, um, shall we say, prominent celebrities at the moment, such as the novelist, uh, very famous for the Harry Potter novels, J.K. Rowling, came out in favour of the No campaign and she received quite a lot of abuse. But in... The last week, in fact, the day before the voting commenced, Mr. Murray threw his hat into the ring on Twitter and let the world know his feelings as to which way he would vote if he could vote and he actually couldn't vote. And you, you know what Twitter's like, Phil. You know what Facebook's like. You post an opinion on there that is perhaps a little controversial to a fairly large audience and you'll get all sorts of clowns responding to that with the most inappropriate of responses and that is exactly what Mr. Murray found happened to him. Sure. That's what always happens. You know, one minute he's on for it, the next minute he's not. He's from Scotland. Of course he wants to uh, support his country. And it's all good in the hood. They didn't get the referendum. It's all done and dusted. Another year to waste. But it was a closer vote. And we don't really care, Craig, where you stand on it. But it was a serious issue. And it is what it is. And honestly speaking, if you're going to have an opinion, you better get ready to get blasted. You should see the stuff I get. 
and it's all good, man. It's from people who have no brains and no no sense. And they, you know what? Let them do their thing. The Twittiots, I call them, and, and the Facebook Fugazis, because that's basically what they are. And it is what it is. There's not much you can do about it. It's a tight race. It's hotly contested. It's very heated, these things, because, you know, the U.K., they don't want to lose Scotland. But at some point, they're probably going to. Anyway, so that's the fuss over Andy Murray and his uh, ill-timed tweet. Maybe these guys should just stick to playing tennis and not worry so much about uh, politics and leave the politicking to others. Now, speaking of the others, Victoria Azarenka is out for the year. She's going to miss the rest of the season, apparently, and she has been injured a lot lately. I think it's curtains for this young lady. What do you think? Yeah, it's very worrying because she's coming off the back of a serious injury, then to find that you're back out on the shelf again so soon after returning, it's... uh... That's a worry, you know. We saw the same thing in men's tennis with Juan Martin Del Pozzo. Got himself a first Grand Slam, looked like a world beater. You know, everyone was forecasting that this guy was going to win 10 Grand Slams, but uh, he got a serious injury, and I think it's fair to say that he never recovered from his injury. So, you know, with Azarenka, is it going to be the same thing? Um, it's very difficult to tell, obviously, but the forecast from my perspective would be that it's a long, long road to recovery. She's um, perhaps picked the best time of the season with the Grand Slams being finished to sit out the rest of the campaign and recover in time for the Australian Open or or whatever she plans to do. But, um, you know, when she comes back, I don't think we're going to be considering her as a, a favorite for the Australian Open or, or perhaps any Grand Slam next year. No, why would you? When you have knee injuries and foot injuries and it's a history now and it's becoming worse and worse each and every time, it's a difficult thing. You know, I feel sorry for her. My heart goes out to her, but it is what it is. And that's what her deal is. Now, another person who stepped into it this week, Craig, Tony Nadal. He's not too pleased that uh, Spain has chosen Galileon as their new Davis Cup captain. A lot of guys aren't really too fired up about the path that Andy Murray chose in hiring a female to do the coaching. I don't know, man. I, I, maybe he wants to be the coach. It's definitely a, an interesting situation because here you have a, another woman entering into the men's tour at a, a very, very high coaching level. Uh, certainly, Davis Cup's a very, very respectable level where you see a lot of former players involved in, in terms of being the sort of head coach or the leader for a nation. Um, the Nadal situation is quite interesting because I think they were very much under the belief that former player Juan Carlos Ferrero was going to be the new Spanish captain, but um, that that wasn't to be, and I think they've been caught off guard a little bit by the the appointment of Galileon, and the comments that have come out haven't been positive from the Nadal camp. Tony Nadal was very quick to say that there's been no communication between he and Galileon, there's been no communication between Rafa and Galileon, so it's, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's very, very negative, but... I think we also have to remember that right now there's a very negative time in Spanish tennis because the Spaniards 
actually got eliminated from the World Group qualifier by Brazil. So Spain won't be playing at World Group level next year for the first time in 18 years. So whether you know that's been playing on the, the mind of the Nadals and you know they're just adding to this whole negativity surrounding the Spanish Davis Cup setup at the moment. Um, they've got a long way to go to get things back, and I, I think the approach is probably to uh, shut up and play some tennis, get yourself back in the world group, and uh, you know don't blame the coach who hasn't actually coached the team yet. Yeah, it is interesting, and this is what he had to say. It would seem to be more normal if the captain had been someone like Juan Carlos Ferrero or some ex-player of a certain level, which is what has happened recently. And then he goes on to say that he uh, has not had any communications with her. Why would he? I mean, what's the difference? Congrats to Gala. This is what he said. Congrats to Gala Leon Garcia for becoming first female Davis Cup, Spanish Davis Cup captain today, hopefully first of many. That was, uh, who was that? That was that, Andy Murray. That was Andy Murray. Of course, why wouldn't he? Okay, that's right. Anyhow, the bottom line is this. So what? Who cares? You know something? Rafael Nadal doesn't even play that much anymore. So what's the difference? Why would you talk to somebody who's injured? It doesn't make sense. They, they've got a, they had a pretty good team. Maybe it's just not important to those guys anymore. Maybe they're just, they've dropped off a bit. It is what it is. But, Tony Nadal, he coaches one person. That's all he coaches. That's his, should be his focus. Not to who cares. Who cares who's the Davis Cup captain? If Rafael Nadal plays, he's going to get what he wants anyway. It doesn't matter who it is. It's doubtful that he's going to listen to anyone else but his uncle anyway. So, I mean, what's the, what's the difference? What's the big deal? I don't get it. I don't think there is a big deal here. I mean, you're going to have two players playing singles. Both players will be cup, are, are Spanish top players, they're definitely going to be top 100 players. Spanish top players are likely to be top 10 players, if not top 20 at worst. So these guys are going to come into the setup with their own coach, their own style of play. They're going to go out and play their way in singles. They're not going to take coaching advice off Galileon as to how to play their singles matches. Uh, you know, th these guys are, are seasoned pros. That They're not rookies coming onto the tour who don't know what they're doing. Um, so, so effectively, I, I always see the, the coach in the, the Davis Cup is a bit of a figurehead, a bit of a, a motivator, more than a tactician or whatnot. You expect these big players to go out and play their their game their way and win matches as they do on the tour. So really, from my perspective, when you get to the level of a, a Spain in the Davis Cup, I don't think the captain or the coach makes such a huge difference. Um and as for Tony Nadal, you know, he's, as you rightly said, he's coaching one player. What's his opinion worth on this? You know, he's not coaching any of the other team members. He's uh, not in charge. Unless he wants to be in charge, then perhaps it's uh, best that he keeps his opinion to himself. Maybe so. You know, everyone's got a right to it, and he's been flamed for it, too. It is what it is. And we'll have to wait and see when Rafael Nadal comes back, if he comes back this year. He played an exhibition the other night, I guess, but exhibitions aren't actually tournaments, and they are worth a lot of money. And it is what it is, Craig. It is what it is. And I, we get questions around here all the time. And we're going to take the last 12 minutes or so of this show to answer it, probably. The question is, why isn't Johan Creek in the Tennis Hall of Fame? 
And when they asked me this, I thought he already had been elected or inducted into the Hall of Fame. But it appears that he hasn't been. And I guess the first thing that we need to do, Craig, is to go over the eligibility criteria because they do have it. This is from the Tennis Hall of Fame website. Recent player category eligibility criteria. Active as competitors in the sport within the last 20 years prior to consideration. Not a significant factor on the ATP, WTA, or wheelchair tennis tours within five years prior to induction. A distinguished record of competitive achievement at the highest international level with, given, with consideration given to integrity, sportsmanship, and character. To be inducted as a recent player, a panel of the international tennis media votes on recent player nominees. A 75% favorable vote is required for enshrinement. Now, I think that Johan Creek probably didn't play much after 20 years, so he would probably fall into the line of master player category eligibility criteria. And that goes as follows. Competitors in the sport who have been retired for at least 20 years prior to consideration. I think that might fit him. A distinguished record of competitive achievement at the highest international level with consideration given to integrity, sportsmanship, and character. To be inducted as a master player, an affirmative vote of 75% or higher is necessary. The International Masters Panel, which consists of Hall of, Fi Hall of Fame enshrinees and other individuals who are highly knowledgeable of the sport and its history, selects the player, master player enshrinees. Now, why isn't Johan Creek in there? <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. Really, Craig. Did you ever see him play? I wasn't fortunate enough to see him play live, but I've seen quite a few tapes. I'm aware that he is a two-time Grand Slam champion of the Australian Open. Um, he had distinguished performances both at the US Open and the French Open, I think. I uh, didn't have the sort of longevity on the tour that you would perhaps associate with players today. Um, but off, off the tour as well, I, I believe that he um, is a founder of the Global Water Foundation, I think it is. So we're looking at someone who had a profile that sort of transcended the tour, which I, I, I've always said, yeah, it is the Tennis Hall of Fame, but you're talking personalities. You know, if your personality uh, extends beyond the tour, I, I think that was something that should really, really go for him. But uh, on top of that, I mean, he's uh, South African-born, I think he was, but uh, resident in, in a USA, which is, uh, I also thought might go for him, given that uh, the Hall of Fame is, is centered in the USA. So, as you said, it's uh, quite a, a bizarre situation we have here, where there's a, a two-time Grand Slam winning champion with, uh, you know, notable wins over top players, uh, a profile that extends beyond the tour, and yet he's not recognized in the same way as some others have been. It's quite strange to me. It's extremely strange. You know, uh, I saw him play from the beginning of his pro career till the end of it. Um, class guy on and off the court. He wasn't the tallest guy, but he fought like hell every night. You know, he was fast, too. I, I, would, have say, I would say the fastest guy I ever saw on a tennis court was probably Bjorn Borg. 
I would put uh, Johan Creek right up in that category with the Michael Changs of the world. He was fast as hell. You have to take it back a lot further, though. You know, you mentioned that he's from South Africa, and he is. There's only one other player who's won a Grand Slam from that region, and that would be Yannick Noah. These two guys came out of the bush, basically. Yannick Noah had some help. Obviously, he had Arthur Ashe, and and I believe that uh, Johan Creek went to Austria or someplace. They had help to get out, otherwise you never would have heard of him. The guy also accumulated in prize money two million bucks, and that was when he retired in 1994. There wasn't still wasn't a whole lot of big money then, so I mean he he was out there. He has a career record of 373 and 220, 14 pro titles. He was number seven in the world when that goes back in 1984. He won the Australian Open two years in a row. He was a consecutive champion. It was played at that time still twice a year, I believe, both on grass. Semifinals of the French, quarterfinals twice of Wimbledon, and one semifinal of the U.S. Open. He also made it to the Tour Finals one, two, three, five times. And then doubles, he won eight titles. But And that's what you're talking about as a tennis player. You know, a lot of people don't realize that back in those days, tennis players were required to play pro-ams. And they, were, they did a lot of things to make extra cash because, like I said before, the money that's today wasn't there then. These are the guys who helped build the freaking tour. What you see out there today, they should be, all be thanking the Johan Creeks of the world because these are the guys who promoted it tirelessly, effortlessly. They'd attend all the parties. They played in the pro-ams. They did this. They did that. They did hundreds of things that a lot of tennis fans don't even realize these guys did because you won't see this today. You don't see these things. You don't see a Roger Federer playing too many pro-ams before a tournament. You saw Johan Creek out there all the time, and, and that's important. When he was coming out to Vegas, he was a class act out there, man. I had the privilege of meeting him a couple of times, not really getting to hang out with him, but whatever. He was a class act. He never big-timed anybody. He was as cool as hell. I even tried to get him on this show, and he wanted to come on, but I was out in Greece, and our schedules, it was hard for us to catch that schedule, but class act all the way. You want to talk about these requirements, Craig. The playing requirements speak for themselves, but it's the other parts that you don't see anymore. It's the integrity issue, total integrity. When you talk about Johan Creek, total integrity. Sportsmanship all the way. Character, impeccable character. He's one of the few people, Craig, that I've never heard a bad thing said about. And believe me, in the world of tennis, that's rarely heard of. And for him not to be in the Hall of Fame, it's just a shame. And it's just silly. And whoever these Hall of Fame enshrinees are that are on this board, most of them played against him probably, should know. I don't know who these other individuals are, but I'm sure they're probably media people who saw him play. My fear is that he didn't get in before is because it's all media people, and a lot of them, never, like you, never really saw him play. And don't realize what he did for the sport and what he continues to do for the sport through his tennis academy, through sometimes he makes posts on Facebook where he talks about the sport and what he liked to see happen. And, and those are things that are important. And I think that a lot of that stuff has been overlooked and it's unfortunate. I, if it were me, I'd put him in there right now. I wouldn't even worry. I don't think he even needs a vote. He's a two-time Grand Slam champion, for goodness sakes. 
Okay, he beat Steve Denton. So what? Who cares? He still won. Okay, what do you think, Craig? No, I completely agree with you. I think that, you know, the case is out there. The evidence has been presented. Two-time Grand Slam champion. I mean, on that alone, I don't think you could ignore someone like Johan Creek. But uh, as I said, the you read out the um, criteria for qualification into the Tennis Hall of Fame. And I, I could only assume that his induction has to be coming either this year, next year, the next five years. I mean, how long can you go on to ignore someone with a, a status and uh, profile of Johan Creek? I, I just can't see it. I mean, it has to be within the next few years. Should have already happened. That's the whole point. He's been retired since 1994. If you're not in there by five, six, eight years after you've retired, it's a pretty tough road to hoe in any sport to get into that Hall of Fame. Goodness gracious. I, you know, I, I don't know what to even say about it any more than I, what I've already said. And, you know, we can look at uh, some. I want to see. I'm curious about who's all in here. I really don't even know. Uh, and let's see. View by induction here. Let's do that. Okay. I'm not going to kick against the Nick Boletari. This, 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 here's this past inductees and again i'm not going to disparage any of these great people who have helped the game and grown the sport that i have made a living on for the last 30 years but john barrett nick bulletary jane brown grimes lindsey davenport and Chantel van der van der rendock i don't even heard of her and that's i i, I should be ashamed because i should know these names well, why can't they fit him in there <laughs> come on john barrett John Barrett's a nice guy. He's an announcer and all, but whatever. Nick Bulletary, he should have been in there years ago, too. And then in 2013, you got Daphne Ackhurst, James Anderson, Wilfred Baddeley, Blanche, Bingley Hilliard, and then you got Charlotte Cooper, Starry, Thelma, Coyne, Long, Cliff Drysdale, Martina Hingis. Uh, the list goes on. Charlie Passarell is in there, probably more for his uh, promotion of the uh, Indian Wells tournament. Ian Tyriac is in there. You, you want? They're, they're talking about character issues. Johan Creek is not in there, and a guy like maybe Ian Tyriac, who <laughs> I, you don't hear too many good things about, is in there. Come on, folks, you got to get your heads out of your derrieres and put this guy in there. That's what I think, Craig. He deserves to be in there. I think this is important. I wonder if we could start a petition or something to get him to get somebody's attention. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I'm just having a look at you know some of the people who's gone in there, and uh, we've got a lot of people who are being added now. That you know, you mentioned Nick Bollier Terry, and you thought, "Geez, oh, Nick Bollier Terry must be." Uh, you know, must have been in there years ago. And no, he's in the 2014 uh, class, which is, you know, that's a surprise that he's not been recognized already. Um, so, so maybe there are plans to get Johan Creek in there, but uh, I think certainly someone needs to be aware of it if they aren't already. And, it, 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 you know, it's a bit of a travesty that he's not on that list. You know, the funny thing is, is I don't think he even cares, to be honest with you. I don't know for sure. I didn't ask, but uh, maybe we'll get him on the show and he can talk about it. 
or talk about better things like the things that he's done off the court and the things he's also done to help grow the game. That's the other thing that's a beautiful part of a lot of these guys, especially in his era, is how much they did for the game, you know, because they understood that their bread and butter came from that game, so they have to give something back. We don't see that often in our sport anymore, and, and that's a pity. But, jeez, Johan Creek, if you're listening to this, thank you for all that you've done for my sport, our sport. I wouldn't have made a living if it wasn't for guys like you busting your ass to get it done. And I appreciate you. And whatever comes of this, I guess it doesn't matter. As far as I'm concerned, you, sir, are a Hall of Famer. Craig, that's good. We did it. We got through the hour or half hour, I should say. We did indeed. Uh, nice range of topics this week. I think we covered all the bases that we wanted to. And uh, I think the serious or more serious tennis starts again next week. So perhaps we'll have uh, more comments on some uh, live action next week. Yep. That's what I'm thinking too. For Craig Doyle, I'm Phil Nason. You're listening to This Week in Tennis, or you did. And you can catch us every single day on Max Sports Channels and at the 405media.com. Take care and enjoy the tennis.